Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special episode of Geek Network. Uh, we are coming to you with some guests on the line. Uh, we are actually going to be conducting an interview with uh, two creators of a comic book that, let's just say, has captured our hearts, <laughs> to be gentle with it. Um, this is a limited group. Uh, we don't have the full group with us this week, but of course, the host is me, Keith, and I'm going to kick it over to Josue to introduce himself. Hey guys, it's your boy Josue. I'm very excited about this episode. Yeah, and then Thomas. What's up, guys? Thomas, Sir Thomas. I'm very Thomas. excited to finally get to speak to you guys. So <laughs> you don't need to know who I am. Let's get this on the road. <laughs> That's right. It's not about us. It's about our guests. Uh, so I want to let them introduce themselves. Uh, first of all, uh, Mr. David. It's Boer, right? It's Boer. Yep. Awesome. Uh, tell yeah. us a bit about yourself, David. Sure. Um, first of all, I want to know how Thomas got knighted to be Sir Thomas, because I would like to do that also. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can definitely tell you. So all you have to do no. is call your significant <laughs> other, uh, your lady or your sir, whichever is your preference. And that's how you get knighted. My best friend started calling. Well, actually, my best friend's now fiance referred to me as Sir Thomas because he always referred to my fiance as my lady. And that was it. <laughs> Really? That's why you're on the title. Okay. I thought it was because we had two Thomases on the show and we just had to give you a No, actually you would think that would be a more valid reason, but this is the only reason that I exist. <laughs> okay, well I will introduce myself as lowly Thomas's lowly page. Um David <laughs> Boer. Uh I write um comics and, and movies and TV and I bet you guys didn't even know that um when I'm not doing all of that, I'm actually an attorney. So I did a bit of research, and I actually knew that. <laughs> not a stalker, I promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I like to say that I'm a, a attorney by day and a writer by night. And nice. um, yeah, that's me. Awesome. And joining him is his partner in creativity, Drew Zucker. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm Drew. I am the artist and a co-creator of Canto. Awesome. So yeah, what we're here to talk about is the comic book Canto. Um, as Drew just said, um, this is a book that came out late last year. It was a six-issue mini published by IDW. And uh, I mean, it's safe to say it was a pretty huge success considering I couldn't find a copy of any of the books. It took me four or five comic book stores to get a collection. So yeah, it turned out really well. Um, are you guys happy with how it came out? Well, I'll say, Keith, first of all, in your defense, we did call all the comic book stores and tell them to hide the copies when you came around. So, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it was um, a whirlwind, I guess, Shocking. is the best way to put it. Because um, we... It, it was, yeah, it came out of left field, honestly. I mean, we loved the book. We loved it for the year and a half that it took to make it. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, you never can expect how it's going to, um, how the market and readers will react to it. So when we first, um, when we were first putting it together, we loved the story. We loved the visuals. Drew's art is just amazing. Um, and... We, you know, you have those butterflies in your stomach when you're first pitching a book and it's in previews and 
I'm sure a lot of the readers understand how previews works, but when you get um, when you when you first announce a book, it's in previews for basically a month for pre-orders. And if you don't, if nobody knows you, nobody knows the story, nobody knows the characters, the shops aren't going to really take that much of a chance on it. Um, so you know, we had a lot of nerves going in, and then you know, it's it did well, and then by the time it hit shelves last June, I think was when it just sort of, um, it, it took off. And I can tell you the story if you guys want to know um, the, yeah. what happened oh, the day before. It, <laughs> okay. It was, so um, we, we had a publicist working with us to sort of reach out and do some of the press and get us some interviews and that sort of thing. And um, he reached out to the Nerdist about a month before the book was to launch. And again, Basically unknown mm-hmm. creators, basically unknown story, unknown character. IDW had helped to have their label on it, but still um, didn't hear anything from Nerdist for a month. And so Tuesday each week, as you probably know, Nerdist puts out the comics to look out for for the week. Mm-hmm. And that Tuesday before Canto Number 1 was to hit shelves on Wednesday, um, Nerdist said, here's the books to look out for for the week. And it was, I forget exactly which books we were. It's like Marvel, Marvel, Batman, and then <laughs> Canto. <laughs> and those are the four <laughs> books they said to pick up for the week. And I had a friend who knew about Canto coming out and everything, but separately on her like news feed, this Nerdist article came up and she texted me and she was like, I don't know if I can say the actual words <laughs> on your podcast, but... <laughs> There were some swears involved. <laughs> I wouldn't mind an exact quote. Yeah. I, there's, Holy there's no, shit. Nice. No <laughs> yeah. She texts me and Sounds she about said, right. <laughs> Holy shit. And so I, <laughs> I'm sure I messaged Drew and I said to Drew, holy shit. And that's how, <laughs> and that's how it all kind of ended up. From there on, I didn't sleep for three nights, and oh, it's just right. you know, right, Drew? You didn't sleep I, either, did you? No, <laughs> I. I mean, so when this happened, David and I have both been around in the industry, uh, kind of middling around on the bottom level long enough to know that you you never until it's happening. You, I, sorry, my dog. Uh, uh until this is happening it's like uh, it's probably a trick but david's david's saying for this was that uh the amount of information we were taking in in that first day was like trying to drink from a fire hydrant and that's (laughs) a lot that's a lot how it felt so i did a signing the day the book came out and they sold through 35 copies in the store and I kind of figured, okay, you know, the book did well because it's got IDW on it. It's, you know, it looks mm-hmm. good, but it's also my hometown shop, you know, kind of mm-hmm. what I expect. Mm-hmm. And then even when we got reviews, it was like, uh, okay, it, things are going really well. I don't think it really hit me until we went to San Diego. And <laughs> San Diego oh. kind of like blew our socks off. Nice. 
Yeah. Um, yeah it I mean, like it, it was a little book that kind of like exploded through like word of mouth, you know, like Thomas was one of that kind of picked it up for, uh, for us during our, for our podcast show. And every, every mm-hmm. month it kept, it kept coming out. It's like, you guys canto, you guys have to read it. And, <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't pick it up until like the very end when it was just like that hard to find. And yeah. In their defense, um, canto, I'll tell you guys my story, my canto story. Um, my fiance and I, uh, well, I started reading comics for the podcast. Um, it was something that I always felt a little overwhelmed to jump into because I honestly thought you had to start like 80 years back, however long Marvel started to understand anything. And when we got the podcast group together, they're like, no, you can, you can start here, baby steps. <laughs> and we went to our local comic shop, Samurai Comics here in the Phoenix area, and it was it was honestly like meant to be. My fiance wasn't really into comics just yet, but she is an avid reader of novels, Harry Potter fan, huge fan. And I think that's kind of like the best way to explain your guys' book. It's like the perfect formula because Drew's art is what drew her to the book. And she was like, oh, she's like, this looks different than everything else. She's like, he's cute. I like it. I want to know more. And then you read it. And that's where you obviously shine, David, with your writing and the story you're telling. And it's literally like jump-started our couple's comic obsession. And um, I was actually talking to Frank Gogol, and he's like, "Make sure you tell them the story because they're gonna they're gonna want to know." Um, because it was this and Dead End Kids that were like the first two comics that we like discovered as a couple and like now comic books is like our thing which is really awesome but honestly yeah like there's something about your book that like makes it stand out from everything else yeah i i um i'm I'm, of course we're going to talk a bit about the design of the book and everything in a moment but um i'm one of the older guys on the podcast and the first thing that popped out at me when i started reading it it felt like i was reading bone by jeff smith all over again like the fact that it's um, all ages, you know, is is important to me. I have I was telling the guys, I actually have a niece who's going to be twelve soon, and I'm totally buying her the graphic novel uh, because I think she's really going to enjoy it, and uh, she's a total nerd, so that'll work out well. But yeah, just like he, the fact he's cute, and the you know, there's the monsters, and like I I was like this like my when I was younger, this could be what Bone was to me and my friends growing up, so. Um, yeah, that, that was the first thing that jumped out at me. And obviously we're going to talk about some artistic influences in a bit. Um, we wanted to talk a bit about the name actually, um, Canto, we, we know it's a Dante reference, of course. Um, and just one thing I just want to kind of ask you, how did you settle on that name? And, um, was it, did you pull it specifically from Dante or was it just, a, you know, a word that you, you knew the meaning of and you thought it would be interesting to use? So that's actually a David question because I got to give him all the credit. The name is all David. <laughs> well, yeah. So <clears throat> so the way Canto, before it was he was named Canto, came together was um, Drew had created this, uh, this little tin guy and was really a huge fan of Dante's Inferno and had a story in mind that was really um, much more adult and scarier for him. And I really wanted to do an all-ages book, sort of a younger, broader audience. And I Mm -hmm. am an enormous fan of Wizard of Oz. And obviously, the Tin Man is a big 
you know, that's a big inspiration for his design. Um, so we came together and he came with Dante's Inferno. I came with Wizard of Oz. So how do you put these two influences together? That seemed pretty disparate. Um, and to tell a story. And I think, um, you know, it's, it was bringing that together that really, um, I'm looking at the cover of the graph, the trade paperback right now in front of me. Yeah. And it's so fun. I had this thought the other day. You have the name Cantor, which came directly from um, Dante's Inferno um, or mm-hmm. the Divine Comedy and the, the way that the um, verses are, are divided up into cantos. Mm-hmm. And I also think the word canto is such a uh, fun word for kids to say. And mm-hmm. so it was very specific that we chose that um, to, to be able to help kids sort of have fun with his name. Um, but I'm looking at the trade right now, and on the cover it says Canto, and then it says If I Only Had a Heart, which clearly is inspired by Wizard of Oz. So right. it's like the, the perfect, on the cover, it's this perfect melding of the two ideas, or the two stories. And I think in um, Inferno, the last Canto, I don't want to spoil it, so um, the uh, because you're so many avid readers of Dante's Inferno. No, I'm not going to spoil Inferno. <laughs> Especially in the original original Italian. Yeah. Right. I, th- I feel like the um, period for spoilers for Divine Comedy has passed. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it does not end well. Yeah. No, it does, actually. It does, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, because I was going to say that one of the things that really Wizard of Oz and Inferno share is this idea of hope. And I think Canto's story um, shares it, too. The very last line in Inferno is, and I quote, uh, it was from there that we emerged to see once more the stars. Mm-hmm. And after he goes through all of these layers of hell and torture and all these horrible things happening, I think that's one of the most hopeful lines in literature that I've read. And you have a similar type of thing when Dorothy goes home. And mm-hmm. um, I can tell you, I have it right here. The very last line of the original. Um, she says, oh, Aunt M, I'm so glad to be at home again. And it's like the the mirroring between the two stories really is pretty um Pretty, pretty fascinating when you sort of look at him. Oh, it's so, there. So that's how yeah. we sort of melded it together. Canto's name came directly from Dante's Inferno, um, the inspiration there. And it's kind of, you know, just putting our inspirations together and making our own story. Nice. And um, one thing I like, and because, uh, again, coming from Dante's Inferno and from the you know poetry in general, a canto is a part of a whole. And anyone who's read the the series, like he goes on this adventure and he discovers he's a part of a whole. He discovers all these like again. I don't want to get into spoilers because I really want our listeners to read the book. But he discovers his people aren't the exi- the entire existence of this world. Like he is a part of a whole. So I kind of like that and like as a uh, contrast to that as well. So, um, I, and obviously, I mean, I, there were some other influences I could see. Um. I believe you guys had said before things like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, maybe even Willow, uh, would have contributed to the design of the book. 
Yeah, for me, the story was inspired by that. Drew's got some very interesting inspirations. Yeah, we're we're there. There are a lot of places that are pulled from that inspired this. I mean, there. Mm. Even though it's not sci-fi, Star Wars is all over this. Um, <laughs> but the the biggest one, like in terms of tone, was that I wanted to do a story that kind of do that does for people what Ghostbusters and uh, the '90s Ninja Turtles did for me. So nice. where I grew up watching Ghostbusters, and my understanding of that movie changed every time I saw it. So my interpretation of that movie when I'm seven is very different from my understanding interpretation from when I'm 10 Mm -hmm. to being very different from when I'm 13 to being very different when I'm 20 to being very different when I'm 30. And that's something that's special about a movie that can do that or any type of entertainment that can continue to not only be entertaining but reinvent itself in a new way for you as you grow up and have a different understanding of the world so that's sort of what we set out to do with Canto and you know that that was part of our desire to reclaim the all ages uh, banner in a way for in comics because traditionally all ages has just been seen as oh just the kids book and it's like no mm-hmm. all ages is not the kids table despite it saying all ages all ages means exactly what it is yeah, yeah. and a lot of a lot of all and ages gonna, is oh go ahead sorry i was gonna say you're gonna see the tmnt influence as we get into the second arc <laughs> Uh, I bet. Oh, I, I Drew, you, you you said it perfectly. I think you just made Kanto my new Slaughterhouse Five because of what you said about you get a different take every time you read it. That's exactly what I get from that book. So to go back to Kanto and get a different feel, uh, I, I thank you for that. <laughs> the the goal was really to be like, okay, if if I give this book to somebody who's twelve years old now, when they're let's say mid thirties and they have kids. Are they able to then sit down and read this book again with their kids and enjoy it just as much with a totally new understanding of the, of what they're of the material than they did Mm -hmm. when they were 12 years old or whatever it was. And can their kid enjoy it just as much with them. And based on kind of the analysis that, uh, we've seen from podcasters and reviewers, I think so far we've achieved it because there are people who are really digging deep into this, into this story. And, and actually in some instances is going a little bit deeper than, you know, either me or David probably did. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, and you know, it's, a, it's timeless is the word I would use, you know, like yeah. you, it's the hero's journey. It's mythology. Like, and that's that's that, that's the trait I'm, I'm I'm getting you saying is that, you know, will my kids enjoy this? You know, um, will I enjoy it when I'm when I'm older? Will I appreciate it differently? Maybe, but yeah, timeless is what I would feel. And I mean, again, it obviously it's very mythological, um, and it draws on so many things. Uh, I think it's interesting that for an all ages book, um, some of these influences we're talking about, like you said, you went back to when you were re- you would have read an all ages book right yeah 
So, um, and Keith, Keith, we also don't give kids credit for what they understand and, um, you know, take away from things. So I was sitting with a friend of ours. Um, they have a daughter who is six and I was reading, Mm -hmm. I think it was issue five came out and she loves Canto and does she, she probably doesn't pick up 75% of what's happening because she's so Mm -hmm. young, but we read, uh, an issue together, the new issue together, and she, and at the end I said, so what's going to happen? So what happened in the issue? And she picked out the one thing that you needed to know to for the story to move forward. <laughs> so it's like, if we can, if we can appeal to that, even, even kids that young, even if they're not picking up everything, it's just not, you know, not talking down to them. Exactly. They pick up a yeah. lot more it's more of a, yeah, it'll be a more of a not yet type of thing, but it'll always be there, and that's what they'll go- look back and appreciate. Yeah, yeah. That, that's probably the most common conversation that David and I have is the balancing act of are we going too far with a particular element? Is it too scary? And a lot of times the, we push back on one another to be like, no. Just because it's scary does, or because it's complex doesn't mean that young kids won't get it. The worst thing that we could do is talk down to them. Exactly. Instead, mm-hmm. instead we kind of throw in complex ideas in the package that we've designed and let them figure it out for themselves. Yeah, they want to be challenged too. Exactly. Yeah. And they, I mean, and that goes to enjoying the product, right? You know, you're you want to enjoy it, and if it's if it does talk down to you, if it's too simple, it's not interesting. It's not. It's boring. Yeah. So yeah. yeah totally going back to going back to like what we're all talking about, Kanto here, and it's all about his challenges. Like it's a little guy that just really can challenge after challenge. That's why he says yes to let's train. So yeah, thank you so much for that. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, another thing about Kanto is he's also kid-sized. He looks Mm kid-sized. So even Mm -hmm. though he's he's an adult and he's got a, you know, developed mind and a a mature adult story, he's the size of a kid. And I think kids can see themselves in him. And it gives us the opportunity to tell a more uh, mature story and package it up into something that kids can um, identify with. Yeah. And like, it goes back to his design. Um, his eyes just pop right off the cover. The and that catches your, yeah, it catches you. And that's going to catch a kid. You know, it, it, it's cute. We talked about it. It's cute. And um, yeah, I, I totally see what you're saying about kids relating to it and such. Um, I kind of want to get into some, I, one of the things we talk about a lot in our podcast uh, is indie comics and how just insane indie comics is. Again, from my childhood, that was right when Image launched. There wasn't a ton of indie. Image was a major thing. Um, and so, like, there's so many companies out there. IDW, Vault, Boom, uh, Image, of course, Oni, Valiant. There's so many uh, companies out there putting out good work. And... Um, I kind of want to talk to you a bit, David, because you did work for Vault, and we're big sure, fans yeah. of Vault. I wanted to kind of get your impression of them, and because um, they're a really new company and they're really making some waves. 
Oh, they're they're making huge waves to see. I think they've. I think this is their third year that they've been around. I think they maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's third. Um, maybe the fourth. Third or fourth, uh, somewhere in there. Yeah. But to see the evolution from those very first books, I had a book that was in their very first wave to the things they're um, they're publishing now is astonishing to be able to see that happen in just a few short years. Um, yeah, it was great. I, I, I got in with them right on the ground floor when they were, and I think it was even a couple of years before they started talking, they were just starting to talk about becoming vaults and they were another imprint that was um, more of a um, graphic novel imprint where they were just publishing their own things. And they started looking into um, getting into the indie comics market, but just focusing on sci-fi and fantasy and really putting out books in the market that I don't think they were seeing. And so that's where they started with the, I think they, they, had six or eight in the first year and then just ramped up from there. Um, but it's great. I, I, Adrian Wassel, who is the editor in chief is one of the best editors in comics. <clears throat> so to have him to work with him on scripts and things was amazing. And it really got cut my teeth to be able to make comics. And now, you know, coming to Canto, I knew what needed to be done both from a, making comics perspective and from a marketing sales because before i had come to um vault i wasn't i'd probably come to comics 15 years ago so i wasn't a you know original comics fan as a kid and i came maybe 15 years ago when i started going to san diego comic-con um and so getting in with um the, the folks at vault who really just are so passionate about comics was really key for me to develop as a creator as well as a comics reader and fan. Yeah. It was great. Um, yeah. And I actually, I've read the uh, first issue of the alien of alien bounty hunter, your book for vault. Um, and for those listening, if you're interested in vault, uh, a lot of their books, you can read the first issue for free on their website. Um, so you can, you can try it out. Um, and like you said, don't go here looking for your superhero fare. This is fantasy. This is sci-fi. And it appeals to a wide variety of people. I really like, we can't sing enough of Vault's praises, to be honest. Uh, and one thing I love about Vault is I find a lot of my female friends like Vault books, which is really important to me because most of my friends are female besides these guys on the podcast. So, um, like, there's a lot of female protagonists and, you know, and, and the art is so varied and different. So... Well, they hire a lot of, and a lot of the creative teams are of diverse talent on them. And Mm -hmm. I know that's one of their um, specific values is to um, support diverse talent and tell stories that wouldn't, couldn't necessarily, or wouldn't find a home in another publisher. And Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I can think of at least three books right off the top of my head with um, female protagonists. So... It's yeah, pretty, uh, exactly. It's and pretty I'm pretty great. Me and uh, me and Josue are big fans of Money Shot, but we can't talk about that on this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, this is um, an all ages episode. So, and then uh, <laughs> what's that? 
I said this is an all ages okay. all ages episode. <laughs> this episode, that's right. Oh yeah, emphasis on all ages. They're, they're so right. going to listen to the episode as a We're child trying. and only understand twenty five percent of it. <laughs> and as they get older, they're going to keep listening and they'll understand what money shot is. Yeah. So, um, and then Drew, I want to ask you about the house because. Do I understand this correctly? This book, um, which sounds awesome, it's a World War II horror book. But from what I understand, you use Kickstarter? Or did you self-publish? Like, how how did that come out? Yeah, that that book came out originally. So, uh, just to give him a plug, uh, that book <laughs> was co-created with uh, Philip Seavey, who uh, just did triage for Dark mm-hmm. Horse. Um, that book. We self-published it. It went through Comixology Submit, and then when it was completed, it went through Kickstarter. And now we just sell it through our uh, respective websites. Nice. And one of my um, one of our co-hosts that's not here today is a big horror fan. He loves horror stuff, and he's actually a comic artist himself. And when I was doing the research about this, and I discovered the house, I'm like, I have to make him read this. He will absolutely love it. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then, um, how did you two get together? Like how, how did this happen? Were there like mutual connections maybe, or just out of the blue? (laughs) Me me and David? Yeah. Uh, so I was actually working on the house at the time. David approached me, uh, out of the blue, um, about doing a project together and I couldn't do it because the house was just kind of consuming all of my time. Uh, But when the time kind of came that it was done and I needed something else to do, uh, I just kind of shot David uh, an email with the original sketch of Canto and Mm -hmm. uh, the one paragraph of story I had come up with. And told him, hey, this is what I have. Uh, if you're still interested in working together, let's uh, let me know. And he was like, I love the Wizard, Wizard of Oz. We're doing this. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, cool. Perfect Drew, you, didn't, <laughs> you didn't mention, though, that um, you had gone through your top 100 favorite people in comics. And then when they all said no, then, I, then you came to me. <laughs> it's it, true. It's true. Brian K. Vaughn was not interested in working with me. Uh, of course, yeah. wasn't. Yeah. He's got a big plate. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty. Busy. Yeah, he needs, he needs to get back to Saga and not worry about other books right now. Yeah, if anything. So, I have to tell it. you guys though. Um, he sent me over. Drew sent me the um, the concept art for the character that would become Kanto, mm-hmm. and it took me about four milliseconds to look at that and i i don't honestly remember i'm sh- i read it what he sent over but i don't remember what it was exactly but i remember specifically seeing the image and going well we're telling this story i don't know what it is i don't know who this character is but we're telling this character story whatever it is and that's how it started ironically that's how he answers my emails too <laughs> <laughs> I just ignore all I'm the glad, words. I'm glad you went with this the... design. <laughs> What's that? What were you saying, Hotway? Oh, I was saying, I- I'm glad you went with this design, Drew, and that David, you agreed because I love the Elder, which is Kanto with like the mustache over over the helm, the helm, and it's he's just so adorable. <laughs> just yeah, like, totally. that's the best description I've heard of him. He's the Kanto with the mustache. <laughs> 
To David's credit, actually, uh, the original version of Canto is a, probably a little more scary than what we settled on. And mm-hmm. then it got redesigned. It went through one round of redesigns where it then was, much, I would say, even cu- probably a little cuter than he ended up now. And then when it came time to do the book, I did one final redesign because I was like, I have to draw this thing. 8,000 times. I better make sure. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, guys, my notes, my notes kept being, we need more Funko pop. We need more Funko pop. (laughs) Marketing. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. That's an avenue we could definitely approach. I am an avid collector of (laughs) Funko pop. So aren't we all? Would you buy a Canto Funko Pop? A hundred percent, yes. And I'm still waiting (laughs) for our response on Twitter on that Canto animated series. Um, So far, Netflix has ignored us, but I think they're just waiting. They're they're playing hard to get. (laughs) I mean, they already have a relationship with Lock and Key and IDW, so just saying. But yeah. Do I I hear a crossover? So much light to graphic novels. Oh, a crossover! Wait, do we? What a crossover! Are we doing a crossover? Is this is this breaking news? No, uh, no. <laughs> you guys are the actual voice. Speculation. <laughs> David Bower announces. I mean, think about it this way: if the guys oh my and My God. Little Pony can coexist, then Lock and Key and Kanto can coexist. <laughs> oh yeah, we were just talking about the Transformers My Little Pony crossover that's coming up. We're very excited about that. <laughs> is Transformers going to ride the ponies, or is it vice versa? Uh, that's an excellent question, because well, both I of them are vehicles. <laughs> because if they're going to transform, that sounds horrifying. Yeah, I would love to see the Transformers go full beast mode and just turn into ponies. <laughs> or the other way around. I would like to see the ponies transform. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I have to say... You know my dream... You know what my dream crossover for Kanto would be is somehow he finds some portal in his world and stumbles through it and ends up in the sewers of New York and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have to help him get home. God, yes. You want this Ninja, Ninja Turtles crossover so bad. I would <laughs> this is great. That. I mean, if they can be Power Ranger Turtles right now, then we can definitely make this happen. Oh can my god. Can you just imagine the turtles like tossing Kanto around in a battle? Like oh, totally. Using him as the weapon. I mean, he's their weapon. He's their secret weapon. And uh, this is after the fact that Kanto. Kanto... <laughs> um, sorry, Kanto's this is the... going out of I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say this is after the fact that Kanto has to get over the fact that Master Splinter isn't a slaver, right? <laughs> <laughs> So you're I'm picking issue one back up and looking at it carefully. <laughs> um, so for spitballing he... ideas here, if I can just throw this one. That's true. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> that's, a, that's a deep question there. But I'm going to throw out one more idea of something I would love to see is a one shot of the Guardians of Dis. Oh, <laughs> the giants. I would just love to see a one shot of them interacting with different people trying to get into this into the city. Everybody's honestly, slipping it, by. It was my 
favorite part of the comic. They're so great. They are. Oh, their interactions were That's just... so like they're, they're hilarious, it's so, right? It's so funny you say that because that was one of the things when I was writing Cantor, I was like, I was most uncertain about that scene because I thought it's so funny and <laughs> I just worried that it didn't fit necessarily with the rest of the story. And somehow I, I think drew, you agree with me that um, for, for, for it being as funny as it is and the rest of the books, you know, there's, there's darkness to it and, you know, it's not a, whole, a huge amount of humor. Um, somehow they, they feel like they fit in this world and I don't know how we got there, but oh, I, I just 100%. love it. The people who have said they love this. Mm-hmm. It just it's it's wild it's wild so so here's a here's a peek behind the curtain at that david <laughs> was having mild freakouts over over that stuff and totally uncertain of it and just like i don't think it works i don't think it works and i kept telling him no trust me it works because i read the script and i'm actually laughing at it and, <laughs> and i told him like listen you, you need to trust me here I did the thumbnails for it and told him, here are the thumbnails, go back and read the script. And it was like, there, there you go. It, it works. <laughs> do you know who, was, uh, um, do you know who the uh, inspiration was for those two giants? The doorknobs? <laughs> the what? Uh, I don't know who. The doorknobs from the labyrinth or is it the other one? Oh, that's a good one. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> no, oh, it was well, who is Waldorf it? and Stabler yeah, tell from us. the Muppets. Did you hear me? No, we didn't no, hear you. Didn't. Sorry. Sorry oh, it's it was Waldorf and Statler, the two old guys from the Muppets who it. sit in the balcony. <laughs> oh, no shit. Oh, my God. That is excellent. Because <laughs> they're constantly bickering. Yep. And like... <sighs> Yeah, those are those are two of my favorite Muppets. Probably Sam the Eagle is my favorite. I, I'm but, trying but... to work Beaker into this story. That's all. I <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean it's just my opinion. But honestly, that really worked for me because, like you said, it's it's a lot of emotions that you're going through, and that was really like a really good breather. And yeah, it I... just like it made me laugh, and I caught my breath. And I'm like, all right, now At this let's point, get back to. <laughs> <laughs> at this sorry. point you're on issue four and the story grows and grows and gets bigger and bigger so by the time like the guardians of disc come around you're just like it's so fitting that like there's no question about it on like well this this isn't supposed to be here or like this is out of nowhere it's just it's if anything it's just super fitting that was probably the thing that was most comfortable about doing this book and it's so weird to like say that that at no point when we were doing this, did I ever feel like anything we were doing did not fit in the world? And it wasn't like we had this this huge roadmap of stuff just totally laid out with backstories and everything. It was more kind of David naturally evolving the story and what the story required. But all of this stuff just it fits together. You know, those the the guardians of this fit in as well as any other darker element to the story. Uh, and even I, I personally have a hard time going back and looking at my old, at my own work 
But I've gone back and read that scene, and that scene makes me laugh. And that probably makes me a dick for liking my own stuff that much that it makes me laugh. <laughs> no. But I mean, it, it's credit to, to David that, you know, he, he wrote that so well. And for me personally, I have a hard time finding comics that I think are – that genuinely make me laugh like that. Out loud, right? Yeah, you, you can say right. like, oh, that's a good joke or like, oh, that was funny. But to actually crack up out loud, like you're right, there are very few that mm-hmm. can do that. It's hard. It's mm-hmm. very hard to do. I think part of it too for that particular scene is that it's it is such a surprise and you're not ready to laugh or see something funny so when you get there it's just like you almost can't help but take that breath you know yeah yeah especially because we needed it in that part of the story too it's just you <laughs> want a breath of fresh air for Kanto the, the back end of that particular issue is dark yeah <laughs> Yeah, and it's a really good spot to to introduce uh, his new traveling companion. So again, I'm gonna tread carefully and avoid spoilers. Uh, we don't get her name till the end. So, but um, or his name. Sorry, that's a that's, yeah, my bad. Um, but it's a good place to introduce them and have them outsmart, you know, the guards. Like, and it. Uh, I'm trying to think because uh, I draw really heavily from myth- mythology. I'm a big mythology guy, and um, I'm actually Finnish, so Finnish mythology is kind of weird. And one of the cliches of Finnish mythology is you go on an adventure, you pick up companions along the way, and then the companions' skills pay off on the way. And so that kind of like satisfied me a little bit, like narratively. I really liked that um, as far as like outsmarting, and also I just really liked that holy crap, it's a human-looking character, you know? Like, how big is this world? Like, that opened my mind really wide, so... So, that's something that we actually both draw on immensely, is, you know, we're especially going forward into Clockwork Fairies and into Volume 2. There are outs... There are various elements from other cultures' uh, mythologies that that we're that we bring into Kanto's world but we basically take those mythologies throw it in the Kanto shaker and out comes the Kanto version uh, and that that it it's a nice place to start from because these these stories have been around forever and they kind of they all fit archetypes and mm-hmm. it helps with you know something like Kanto which is so heavily adhering to the hero's journey, but veering off on its own path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you brought it up. I want to actually talk about it. Uh, this year, we are looking forward to some more Canto. Uh, Canto 2! <laughs> so first of all, uh, for our listeners, the Volume 1 is going to be out on March 24th for purchase. Uh, pick it up, pre-order it, because if the uh, actual series is any indication, your comic book store is going to run out. Um, <laughs> later on in May, we have the one shot of Kanto and the Clockwork Fairies. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about that? Everything. Um, <laughs> so we released about six pages um, mm-hmm. as a preview. So you can go to Instagram at, at Kanto Comic. And um, I think the most recent post has the uh, preview pages to take a look. Mm. And so I I guess what we can say about the story without spoiling too much is um, 
Kanto sort of it takes place after the first uh, end of the first arc. Kanto discovers new inhabitants of the, uh, their world and has to, um, these clockwork fairies, and has to liberate them from a new and sinister um, being who has taken them captive. And it's fully designed to be a standalone, one-off, I like to describe it as a side quest. Um, so it's just <laughs> yes. going to be a single issue, <laughs> single issue for Kanto, um, that sort of then gets us to uh, Kanto 2, which is um, coming in July. July, awesome. I mean, I'm excited, and yeah, with the with the one shot, the one thing, uh, he's the big person. He's the biggest person. <laughs> like he's actually the big strong one in this group. So I, I kind of oh. like that because he's always been tiny. Did, but <laughs> right, and we did that. We actually did that on purpose, and that's one of the reasons we picked fairies is is the next thing to do because you have mm-hmm. Kanto against the giants. You have Kanto against um, you know, these other giant. He's he's so small in such a big world. Yeah. That we yeah. wanted to give him the chance to be big, and and for to, to some something that's smaller. So the slogan that we used when we first announced it was "Canto's world is about to get much larger and much smaller in 2020." Yeah. <laughs> nice. So you were a little elusive there, uh, there two times. <laughs> is there is it too soon to have a name for the world? Oh. Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, he, he just answer I'll that. Tell right you there. My <laughs> I'll tell you my philosophy on Kanto and his world. Um, the way the story unfolds in the first arc, and we specifically did this so that it's about Kanto and it's about his journey. We started with a character who knows nothing about his world, and his world slowly gets revealed to him. And I just can, I, I get so tired of stories that have all this info dump right at the beginning about everything about the world and clans and all these different things. It's like, do we need to know that? How about just give us a character that we can follow and discover those things as the characters discovering them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my very elusive long way of saying, <laughs> continue to follow Kanto's journey and you're going to have a lot of your questions answered. Oh, I will. And I will. (laughs) It also works that you as the reader never know any more than Kanto knows. Yes. Yeah. Which is helpful. The other thing is that David kind of set, set, laid out the story he wanted to tell and then just turned me loose on everything else and basically said, as long as it fits the world, I guess we can throw it in the background. So <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that just kind of show we it, it he kind of just lets me throw everything at the wall and see what sticks and we kind of cherry pick what we want to develop further or oh that looks cool let's see if maybe we can bring something like that in you know further down the road in or you know stuff like that and that's kind of that's what's a lot of fun about this book, at least from my end. It's simultaneously the best part and the biggest headache. I was going to say, behind the scenes, you, you keep telling me, you want me to design what? <laughs> large group we need to get you a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> Stop. And then you Kento want me to is design... how small? <laughs> how, many, how many Kanto... People, do you want me to put in this? Oh, on this the one page? panel, not even page, but panel. Like, God, <laughs> oh, I have. I know the current K 
account in the current page that's going on. <laughs> it's up in the seven figures now, you guys. Millions. Yeah, it's, it's something horrible. Why? But I'm sure it's paid I'm off because kidding. honestly, I've been to your. I just went to your website, Drew um, DrewZuckerArt.com, right? Yeah. And um, I mean the the art you're selling on there is glorious, and it's right, definitely yeah. worth the money. Um, so I, everybody that's listening, go check it out. Buy everything because that means you'll have to draw more stuff. And then that's all. That's how we keep Drew drawing. <laughs> and of course, we're, when we're talking about Canto, uh, we can't not mention the colorist and letter. Yeah. Um, like, cause it's a team I know. And I've, I've actually heard an interview with you guys in the past where you've talked about how important they were to your process. Oh yeah. Uh, Vittorio Estone, mm-hmm. who does colors <clears throat> and Darren Bennett, who does letters. And I've never worked with another letterer other than Darren. And he's always been just spectacular. He's kind of the last step in the process. And oftentimes it's very tight th- deadlines, but with him, I know it's just going to come back and it's just going to be ready to go. Yep. Um, and Vitt- Vittorio's colors are just, mm-hmm. they fit so well and they're dazzling. And to be honest with you, we, we've barely give him notes on what colors to choose, how to design, what palettes to use. And every time we just got something in our, in our inboxes today that I just, my jaw dropped because it was everything that I'd wanted in this particular, it's a, it was a cover um, and it was everything I wanted. So um, yeah, the team would not be what it is without the four of us working on it together. Was without, it the cover Vittorio, without Vittorio, my art is just lines that no one cares about. And without Darren, <laughs> no one cares what David says. <laughs> you know what that's actually a great way to put it because like ev- the way everybody's like bubble just pop like, they literally just pop the way they talk they everybody just when they speak they actually talk and it's because of how the, the letters are made so yeah not for nothing th- those two both of them to their credit are storytellers in their own right um my favorite part about Vittorio is that he is a genuine storyteller when it comes to his colors. He understands yeah. color theory and he understands mood and, you know, that certain colors should be used to, to, you know, move a story forward. And Darren mm-hmm. does the same thing with lettering. Um, for me, you know, an example I can go back to is, I, I don't mean to trash him because I'm not doing it. Uh, <laughs> Phil, Do who, it. Phil, who was the writer for uh, The House. Um, mm-hmm. When we did the original version of The House, uh, the original pitch, Phil uh, lettered it on his own. And it's, it's fine. It's totally serviceable. But he's not a letterist. Mm-hmm. It was only when we brought in uh, another letterist onto the project that you saw it that the lettering became a storytelling element. And it's the same thing that goes on when Darren gets a hold of this, is that the way he introduces some of the dialogue and the way he introduces the layout, he completely changes the way a page reads. And like that that level of 
skill is something that is hard to find. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about a lot. Um, uh, I know one book that is a favorite of the podcast is Once in Future. And the coloring is amazing. And that's Tamara Bonvillain, I think. And yeah, I just love it. So yeah, coloring, lettering, it's all really important. Uh, particularly the lettering when it's the tale of the night. Like that font, I really I really like how that's how that's laid out. And it kind of, like, it's the first thing you see in the book. Like on the and, paper, the text. Yeah, it, text, it yeah. sets the tone. And it tells you this is the kind of story it's going to be. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. So, Can I just say well, I'm unaware of what her last name was, and that may be the greatest last name I have ever seen. <laughs> Bond villain, yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Sounds like a Bond uh, villain. Oh, yeah. we recommend reading Once in Future. It's great, and it's honestly the oh, colors man. alone. Yeah, it's breaking but, us. <laughs> yeah, just to like touch on the creative teams, like for me, getting a late start on comics, like I don't, I never put too much thought into how a comic came together to begin with, but I honestly pictured one person sitting there writing the story and drawing everything and then coloring it and to see like all this collaboration between like these creative teams that get put together it just mm. makes you appreciate the work that much more it's like it's it's amazing it, it honestly i i've watched people do books by themselves and it is mm -hmm. a super lonely process mm -hmm. uh people that can do it credit to them uh, for me personally, I mean, it, David drives me out of my mind, but I honestly just have a lot more fun <laughs> having him around than not. Going that back and forth, yeah. It takes me, Drew, in my defense, it takes me about 15 minutes to write these scripts. So what else am I going to do with the rest of my time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, listeners, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we have kept you guys over our planned time, but I was having a blast talking with both of you. I really appreciate you taking the time out. I want to go ahead and again, let our listeners know, uh, pick up the trade later this month, actually. Uh, in May, pick up the one shot. And in July, pick up Canto 2. You will not regret it. And if you can, pick up the back issues of the original run. It might take some hunting, but I can tell you... On IDW's website, you can buy the digital copies. So that's what I would recommend if you can't find them. But thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Anything you'd like to plug? Anything else coming up? Yes, David. Would you like to tell us about your work in the future with possibly Edgar Allan Poe Inspirations? <laughs> like all of Canto 2. Not yet. I know. I, I unfortunately, <laughs> I posted something for everybody who's listening. I posted something on social media um, about Edgar Allan Poe, and Thomas was all over me about wanting um, the full issues <laughs> done already and just out the door. So um, I'm working on a some something in that realm. Uh, I've got a couple other books that um, haven't been announced yet, but they will be around um, in the fall. And then 2021, we hope. And then it's just a lot more Canto. Thanks, well, Thomas. Just wait till you see what comes after Canto. Oh, <laughs> oh you're Drew and I also that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Drew. We're, 
we have already started gestating uh, what comes next, and it's uh, what it's based off of is exciting. Good. I will. You can I will tell continue them. to hang out. Oh, fine. That's True. fine. Already, you, you know what? It's going to be five something. years from now, anyways. Uh, the, the we're we're working on the next project, but Canto is obviously the priority over the next few years. But mm. what comes next is uh, most likely going to be a sci-fi project based around the Odyssey. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> you just said Excellent. so many trigger words for me. <laughs> so, that is awesome. I can't wait for that. Uh, before we keep you two guys yeah. too long, David, I did have a fan question. Uh, for uh, back on issue four, when they meet the companion, before I get to too many spoilers, there is a quote where it says, um, "In certain high dialects, Canto means song or a part of an epic poem." Um, and I want to go back to something that you and Keith said earlier. Um, obviously, as as from an inspiration through the Divine Comedy, um, Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. And then, so is this, oh, because it's through, derived through Italian dialect, is Canto's high dialect name Canto? Like, uh, we, some of us speak like, uh, Spanish. And like, when I read that, it's like, oh, sure. to me, like this book stopped becoming Canto and started becoming Canto. <laughs> that, that's actually how my comic shop owner pronounces uh, it. Oh really? Fuck yeah. Yes, you're allowed to. Yes, you're Canon. absolutely you can pronounce it Kanto. Um I I have I Americanize it, but if you were yeah. to describe it in, in um I, I grew up in the Midwest, so all my A's are extra hard. <laughs> Canto. So um yeah, but you are perfectly um Correct. If you want to, if you want to call it Kanto. Fuck yeah. Well, it's like it's like Keith was saying that like the name can the, the word Kanto comes like being like uh, meaning whole and like there's just like Part of whole, yeah. it, it becomes like like the character itself. There's are so many layers to this little character, and it's like that's why this book will go on to be so beloved. Yeah, we hope so. I hope so. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. We really, truly appreciate it. And we cannot wait to see what you guys come out with next. I guarantee you at least the three of us are going to be reading and we are going to be telling our listeners to be reading as well. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Uh, We will join you with our regularly scheduled programming. uh, And that will be announced through all of our social medias. And, of course, visit us at geek-network.com to get all the information about the group. Thank you so much. And see you next time. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, David. (laughs) <laughs> oh, thank you guys <laughs>